Welcome to the Raptors Beat. Josh Lewinberg and Nikki Reyes here with you the morning after the Toronto Raptors drop game three to the Philadelphia 76ers, 101-104 in overtime. The first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And Josh, there's a lot to talk about, a lot to process here uh, in the next hour. Nabil Karim, who's the TNT host and reporter, will be joining us in about 20, 25 minutes. Um, but Josh, like the next morning, it's still it's still unsettling. Still what processing happened. it. It still hurts. <laughs> still processing. Uh, I'd like to start kind of where it all ended uh, for the Raptors in that last play. Um, it was 8.8 .8 seconds left on the clock, and Precious Achua poked the ball away from Joel Embiid, forcing Doc Rivers to call a timeout. And that's where things kind of unraveled, obviously. Two point seconds left on the clock, 0.9 seconds on the shot clock. Danny Green inbounding the ball. And Josh, what did you see from there? It was all a blur for me. So what did you see? Yeah, I mean, the Raptors did not defend that play well at all. I mean, the first thing that I think you can talk about and question is the decision not to have anybody on the inbounder. Mm -hmm. I mean could end up unfolding the same way um, in a, in another game three with the Raptors down 0-2, of course, against Boston in the bubble, um, a, a final play with Boston inbounding, or sorry, with the Raptors inbounding, we, we saw a lot of length on the ball with Taco Fall uh, defending Kyle Lowry, and ultimately Lowry gets the pass over him and two OG in the corner anyway. So it's not like it's a foolproof strategy by any means, but getting some length on the ball may have made the pass more difficult for Danny Green, especially with so little time left. But the bigger issue after that is the way the Raptors defended the, the screener. Tobias Harris comes over, sets a great screen yeah. um, for Joel Embiid, freeing him up um, in the uh, on the wing there. Um you end up with some confusion where three Raptors players end up on the weak side. Nobody switches and goes to defend Embiid. In the end, you get Van Vliet sort of scrambling over. He's too late and ultimately too small. You needed some size there, whether it was, I mean, Achua was, was the player that was screened. So whether it's Gary Trent Jr. or OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, somebody has to come over go uh, over the screen or switch and, and get give at least get a hand up in Embiid's face, make, make that shot more difficult than it was. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a, a interesting moment in, in the arena, a tough moment, right? Like, it, we, we've spent the last three years talking about the Kawhi shot and what that was like. I get that question a lot. What was it like to be in the arena in that moment? And it was, I mean, it was eerie even back then, right? Because you've got that silence. 20,000 people <laughs> in the building and just dead silence for what felt like five seconds as the ball is up in the air and bouncing before it goes in. And then obviously the roof explodes. Um, this time it was silent and it stayed silent. I, I mean, you... you Good for Joel Embiid in that moment. It's a it's a great sports story. Probably not one that Raptors fans can appreciate in the moment or maybe ever. But this is a guy that has gone through a lot in the last three years. Has been waiting a long time for that shot in, in that building, that moment. Um, so it, it was a great one for him and the Sixers, and, and just a, a heartbreaking one for the Raptors 
in what looked like it, it could be a, a season-saving win in the end, um, we're left to kind of pick up the pieces of a, a series that's all but over now for the Raptors. And look, there's so many things you can argue and debate about that last play. Uh, you know, Fred Van Vliet started on Danny Green, and Nick Nurse was on the sideline frantically trying to get his attention, saying, you know, move off him, you know, and brought him down low, like under the basket, essentially. Um, and so even Fred looked a bit confused that, you know, why he wanted uh, him to go off ball there. And, and then you can also argue before that Doc Rivers, you know, getting on the court basically up in the ref's face, calling that timeout and whether or not that's allowed. And, you know, these are there's so many semantics to it. Um, but at the end of the day, you're right. It was just so eerie is the word how it, it was like a balloon popped in that arena. It just went dead silent. I mean, I threw my headset off. You know, I was in the booth doing the radio call. I threw my headset off and had to walk out of the room because I just couldn't believe what I just saw. You know, it was just like, you know, play before that. Essentially, Joel Embiid was trying to heave up a three, uh, didn't make it, and forced. that's what forced overtime. Uh, and good for Joel. I mean, it, it was an incredible, incredible shot for him to have the cojones to take it and to make it. And, and for Doc to draw that up, it, it was, you know, it really was a sight. And. Joel Embiid, every time he touched the ball in that arena, was getting booed. And, and you know, you can argue whether or not the crowd was was full-on uh, playoff atmosphere crowd. I thought, I thought the atmosphere was great last night. It was just nice to have playoff basketball in the building. But it's unfortunate, Josh, because the Raptors started the game so well. You can say for most part, you know, for the most part, they deserve to win that game. Um but when you're when you're two superstars, when you're two stars, Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam have a, a tough of a night offensively as they did. Uh, it, it's hard. It's hard to get over that hump, especially when Joel Embiid played the way that he did. Yeah, and I mean it's a credit to the other guys, and we'll talk about them as well. That the Raptors were even in a position to win that game, and and you you could argue that they should have won that game. And if you would have told me before it that Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam combined for 24 points and shoot the way that they did, I, I would have said, okay, well, it's probably another blowout loss. The fact that they were able to, to take them to overtime. And, I mean, listen, they, they were in control, right? The Sixers didn't take their first lead until 11 seconds into the overtime period. That's a credit to the three guys that nearly saved the Raptors' season, OG Ananobi, Precious Achua, and Gary Trent Jr. And listen, we, we can question, well, I question's a bad word, but you, you can criticize some of the, the things that happened for those guys late the end of the game. I mean, OG was part of that miscommunication on that final play. Obviously, Achua with the two missed free throws were, were crucial. But, I mean, those guys led the way. Those guys put the Raptors in a position to win where Van Vliet and Siakam, I, I mean... Just not their night, and I know that we're, we're living in a, the, the social media era where everything is sort of blown up, where it's tough to have these nuanced conversations where you can kind of take the good and the bad and, and um, put everything into perspective, into context. Everything is blown up to to the, the, the fullest extent, you know, but mm -hmm. I, I think it's possible – with these two to, to look at the big picture and say that both Van Vliet and Siakam had incredible seasons. They don't win 48 games and, and get the fifth seed. 
if not for these two. And I, I mean, I, I think up until last night, it's been a good series for them. Not great, but yeah. good. It's tough because you need those two to step up in a game like that. You need more from them in a game like that. There's no sugarcoating it. They're, they weren't good enough. And even in the series, as I say, they, they were good. They need to be great in order for the Raptors to ha- have a chance at, at, at winning a series like this against a really good team, a really talented team in, in Philadelphia. And we talked about it before the series where we had a pretty good idea Joel Embiid was going to be the best player on the se- in the series, and he has been. Uh, but after that, the Raptors were going to have a chance. Pascal Siakam needed to be the second best player on the floor. Fred Van Vliet couldn't be too far behind, and... I would argue the best four players on the floor in the series have all been Sixers players. And yeah. and that speaks to what the score is in the series. 3 nothing for Philadelphia, right? Like, after Embiid, it's probably been Maxi, Harden, and Harris in yeah. some order. And Siakam and Van Vliet haven't even been the best player on their own team. That's probably been OG Ananobi through three games. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to have some time to – to, to go through this once the series is over and into the offseason in terms of what this means for the evaluation process um, and whether or not this changes the thinking for Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster. Not so much about the core, but maybe how you build around it and the type of piece that you have to add because, yeah, I mean, this was, as Van Vliet put it after Game 2, a platform and an opportunity for those guys to go and show that the seasons that they've had can translate into a playoff series, and there are all sorts of reasons why it hasn't. I think for Van Vliet, the knee injury is a big thing. He's been dealing with it for the last few months. Siakam's played a ton of minutes. Philadelphia's done a good job of taking him out of the series uh, to some degree, but they, they haven't they haven't shown what they've wanted to and needed to show in this series so far. Yeah, it's last week we were saying, right, the second best player in this series is Pascal, right behind Joel Embiid. And what makes a performance by Pascal like last night really difficult to kind of digest is that he was playing so well down the stretch um, before the playoffs began. And I think that's what gave everyone and Raptors fans uh, such confidence that they'll be able to to compete and, and possibly even pull this off, this upset off over Philadelphia. And now here they are, down three games, and we know what the stat is. No team has ever come back to win a playoff series when down three games. 73% of teams who win game three go on to win the series. And so I think that's just what makes it really difficult. And, and you're right, you know, Joel Embiid, potential MVP winner this season, was on Siakam for most of that game and and really limited him. When you don't get to the free throw line too, Josh, I mean – he he just didn't have any answers last night and it was just really tough to watch because he just expected so much from Pascal and you're right like I haven't even looked at social media because I can't even imagine what Pascal is what's being said about him right now fair or not fair um and you're and we'll we'll, we'll probably go we'll do the postmortem on this uh probably next week um Hopefully they'll show, they're still playing at that point, but yeah, a lot of minutes, right? And and we can argue, you can make that argument of did the, did the minutes toll 
uh, throughout the regular season really impact these guys here in the postseason because they haven't looked like themselves. Um, yeah. I just think we can criticize and we should criticize the game and not the player and make this bigger than it than it needs to For be, sure. right? Like Pascal was not nowhere near aggressive enough in the second half where he was held scoreless and, yeah. and only took five shots. But I, I mean, I know what the narrative is going to be, right? The narrative is, is going to be, well, he's not a playoff player. He's not a playoff player. He, he, he can do it during the regular season, mm-hmm. but he can't do it in the playoffs. And I mean, rewind even a few months, and people were saying, well, he can't do it in the playoffs or the regular season, and they were proven right. wrong. <laughs> the thing is, and, and this is why I mentioned nuance earlier, Pascal was great in the playoffs in 2019, the year that they won the championship. He was a big part of the reason why it happened. He wasn't good in the bubble. There were a lot of reasons for that. A lot. Um, he, he's had some good moments in this postseason. He's had some bad moments in the postseason. It's more complicated. It's more difficult than just simply saying good playoff performer, big game performer versus not a big game performer. We, we've seen that over the years with, like, Paul George is a good example. People were on Paul George for, for years, and then he a big reason why the Clippers were able to make a run last year in spite of all their injuries. He has a big James playoff uh, run. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, it's players are complicated. There are games where they're going to have great nights, playoff games where they're going to have bad nights. It's not all that different than the regular season, other than there's obviously more pressure and the spotlight is bigger. But very few players are just going to go out and dominate every playoff game. I mean, even Joel Embiid was 5 for 15 here in game one. DeMar DeRozan, another good example of, like, all these years, well, he's not a playoff performer, he's not a playoff performer. Look at what he did last night yeah. in taking down Milwaukee. So I just think it's more complex than than um, saying that he is this or he's not that. I, I think we could just leave it at that was a, a disappointing game for him, an off night, a rough night for him and for Fred Van Vliet and for the Raptors to win that game and save their season. They needed more from those two. Are you ready to talk positives, or do you still want to? You still want to be Debbie Downers here? We can. I um, mean, there are few positives. I guess we can take away, right? I, I don't want to go yeah, big picture no, for positives, sure. but last night there were some positives, like Gary Trent Jr. You know, obviously was not himself the first two games. Was able to like have a, an amazing game last night, considering what he he had a fever yesterday. Was the first day he didn't have a fever, uh, and was able to Lost show eight up. Pounds. And, Lost eight pounds, like unbelievable. And Nick Nurse was saying before the game, like it's his breathing that I don't know if he'll be able to breathe. He's having difficulties doing <laughs> that. I need how to breathe play, as, a, as do, an NBA player. <laughs> how do you play exactly? How do you run up and down for 48 minutes if you can't even breathe? Precious Achua, as you mentioned, you know, an amazing uh, game for him last night. And, and this was part of, not part of, this is a main reason why the Raptors wanted to have this playoff experience for these young guys. And guys like, obviously, unfortunately, for, for Scotty Barnes, who hasn't been able to play, um, that makes it exceptionally frustrating. But for guys like Gary, guys for like Precious uh, the learning experience there, Josh, uh, it's invaluable. Yeah, and that was always going to be the the number one goal going into this series, whether they won or lost the series, whether it went four games or seven games or somewhere in between. It was going to be about development and getting those valuable playoff reps and that learning experience. And, I mean... 
they they got that yesterday. It wasn't pretty, but like this is something that Precious Achua is going to remember forever. Hopefully, he remembers the good moments as much as he remembers those missed free throws. But let's face it, hopefully, he remembers both and learns from both. Right. Um, those He's three guys time. that those three guys that nearly led the Raptors to this win in Achua. Trent and Ananobi, all three of them are under the age of 25. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the the tough position that the Raptors are in right now, still being in the thick of it, is trying to reconcile the positives and encouraging performance from a number of guys last night and valuable learning experiences for a team that desperately wants those, desperately needs those, from ultimately another disappointing result and what looks like it's almost certainly going to be a disappointing result in in the series um yeah i mean it's tough to sort of find that balance i think maybe once it's all said and done you look back and it's easier to see the silver linings and it's also tough and disappointing because what would have been the biggest silver lining in that scotty barnes getting all this experience like his series right now is capped at least for the moment at 31 encouraging minutes but he hasn't been able to be out be out there and get those reps which leads us to the discussion of game four it sounds like certainly from the way that nick nurse was talking and maybe there's some gamesmanship there but it really sounds like barnes is going to be out there and playing in game four should he be with the raptors down oh three in the season all but over as you mentioned nobody has come back from a 3-0 hole in the history of the nba a very little reason given what we've seen so far to believe that the raptors are going to be the first you can be confident, and they should be confident. This is a, a prideful group, but it's also a, a realistic group, I think, especially in terms of guys like Fred Van Vliet. I mean, they know the math. They know the history. Is it worth the risk for a guy? We, we, it's tough for us to say because we don't know the specifics of the injury, um, the severity of it, and only the Raptors can make a, 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 a truly educated, responsible decision in the matter. But is it worth taking the risk with Scotty? for game four considering where the series is right now yeah i mean that's obviously the big picture is what you have to really keep in mind here and and it looked it looked hopeful yesterday when we saw him at shoot around before the game he had the boot off he was walking around didn't yeah, but I mean, we like saw a, him walking down the hallway, not running and cutting right right exactly and, and that's exactly that so uh, you know, Nick Nurse, you're right. He, he, it could be misdirection or just, you know, optimism. He's putting it out in the universe that he hopes God it can be available on Saturday, at least to have that experience. But of course, it has to be weighed out. What is more valuable? You know, the 48 minutes of experience or, you know, his, his future. <laughs> I'm going to go with his future being the most important of the two. Um, but you're right. It's not, I mean, like we're sitting here talking as if the series is over and it's not. There is still one more game to be played. And, and I, uh, you know, it's not looking good, but they still have to go out there and they still have to get the job done uh, as far as Philly goes. And, and um, you know, we'll just have to see how it unfolds on Saturday. And it sounds like I, we were talking to Nick Nurse after the game, like they still believe they have something to play for, not necessarily sure. in terms of like stealing the series and being the first team in NBA history to, to come back from 3-0, although I'm sure they'd love to do that too. But going into the series, as we talked about, if, if goal 1A was win the series, goal 1B was get a, as many reps as possible. So he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, if we can get 
extend this series another game or two, and it, it's very rare in, in this situation. I mean, normally with a team down 3-0 in game four, it's really tough under seeing the writing on the wall and knowing the, the math and the history and the odds for a team to come out and win that game. But if this Raptors team, really one, they're playing for pride, and that's something that Van Vliet mentioned, but two, they're playing to get these guys more experience, maybe get Scotty a few more games. Yeah, I, I don't I don't love it. Like I said, I think w- when he went down, the first thought that I had was, oh, well, this is disappointing if he can't get those playoff reps that they wanted him to get. But my second thought was, well, what if this costs him valuable time to learn and to grow In to work on his game during the offseason? Yeah. That has to be the priority <laughs> now. So me personally, like, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't run him out there on on. Um, Saturday, but I also can see it from their perspective, and if they know more than we do in terms of like, okay, maybe the ankle isn't as bad as as they thought, then maybe there is value in getting him out there and, and seeing if they can get him more experience than just those thirty one minutes. We'll we'll look into look ahead to game four and what it means if anything for this group moving forward, as well as taking a bigger picture look at this series and what it could mean for the Raptors and their future. Uh, But first, we're going to talk to a guy that was on the sidelines in uh, in the arena last night, get a different perspective on uh, a really uh, fun and stressful and in the end disappointing game for the Raptors. (laughs) Nabil Kareem was working the sidelines for Turner Sports yesterday. He's been... Uh, doing a great job covering the series for TNT and for NBA TV, of course. A, a friend of ours, a former colleague. Looking forward to catching up with him, and we'll do that on the other side of the break. This is the Raptors Beat. Welcome back, Josh and Nikki, with you for another half hour or so. An interesting night last night, Scotiabank Arena. I mean, Raptors fans have been waiting a long time for a playoff game in that building in this city it had been nearly three years and not the result they would have wanted but a great game nonetheless and very excited to chat with a guy who was there last night he's done a great job working the sidelines for tnt and nba tv in this series uh bc native canada's own a friend of ours and former colleague nabil kareem joins us on the line nabil good morning uh, it had been a while since you've been in that arena covering a game like that or any game yeah. in that building. What what was it like in 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 there last night? I, what, what did you think of the atmosphere? I thought it was incredible. Um, you know, I wasn't there. For, I was there actually game five of the 2019 finals. So I was there for that last game, but I came as a fan, um, so I remember that. But like, just as far as working, I mean, it was it was pretty insane. And, and for us, like in the business, like. You know, we, we wear this thing called the IFB in your ear so you can hear the broadcast and you can hear your producer and stuff. And usually it's like a single butt in your ear. It was so loud in there yesterday that I had a double IFB. So it was like, it was like wearing two earplugs in your ear so I could kind of drown out the crowd a little bit because I could not hear what our play-by-play guys were saying and I can't hear my producer. And so that's a problem when you're doing the broadcast when you can't hear and you can't get the cues and stuff. So that's how loud it was. And still with the, the double IFB, um, I could feel the, the crowd noise was just still so loud. And there was a couple of points where I just wanted to take it in. And I knew I wasn't going to be on air, you know, uh, at that point. So I took out one earbud just to, 
to soak in the atmosphere. It was pretty special, I thought. Yeah, it was. It was uh, Nabil until Embiid made that shot, of course, and then all twenty thousand people just shut the hell up. And so, you you spoke to him in your walk off <laughs> interview um, after he made that uh, incredible uh, shot. Give us a synopsis of what he said to you. Yeah, I mean, I figured it was his biggest shot, but I wanted him to confirm that. And he said, yeah, that obviously was his biggest shot that he's made in his career. But, you know, what was interesting to me was that I asked him, I said, listen, that first half, they really neutralized you, right? Because I think you had five points in the first half. Um, and, and what you know, what kind of adjustments did you make in that second half? And, he, and it was interesting because he was like, yeah, in the first half, they pressured me. And, and he, was like, something, he said something along the lines of, like, uh, he didn't even want the ball, which was really interesting. You know, he he didn't want it. He didn't want to be aggressive in that first half. And then Doc had a talk with him uh, at the half, and, and that's when I think he knew, hey, listen, if we're going to win this game, uh, I got to be the guy. I got to be a factor, and I got to be, you know, what Doc has said, the baddest man uh, in, in the series. And so that's what he did. And that's the thing, you know, I was talking to a couple other guys before the game, and they're like, hey, is there a chance, you know, Embiid could be, you know, slowing down? And I'm just like, dude, the guy, the guy might be the MVP of the league. Like he's not only the best player in this series, he might be the best player in the NBA. And so it's a tall task. And, and here's the thing, like Raptors had that, you know, chaotic defense going on. It was like 15 turnovers in the first half. And I still remember again at halftime, I was talking to Kevin Calabro, who was calling the game for us. And he was like, ah, this is great. Right. I'm like, yeah, it is. But like, don't be up 10 points. And so (laughs) as well as the Raptors played, as bad as the Sixers played, you know, it was a 10-point game at half, and that, that's what kind of got me going, oh, man, this, this might be a lot tighter than we think. And Embiid had, what, five points. You know, no one was playing well on that side. And, and then Doc came out. I was talking to Doc right before the third quarter, and he was in great spirits, and he said the exact same thing. He said, listen, man, we should be down 20 or 30. Okay, they had 11 more shots than us in that first half. He goes, this is the way they beat us in those three games in the regular season. Had more shots. They created a bunch of turnovers. Uh, but he said, hey, listen, we're down 10. And we shot 55% in the first half. So we're actually in pretty good shape. And he wasn't wrong. I thought Nick Nurse made a great point before the game. I think Steve Simmons asked a question where it's like, okay, you know Embiid's going to get his. Is there an argument to be made to just let him do his thing and try to stop everybody else? And Nurse mentioned that, like, it's not like I'll use, I don't know, like Kevin Durant as an example, a player that's going to go out there and get his. But at least you can make his 30 points as difficult as possible, make him take tough shots, show him length or whatever, try to keep him on the perimeter. With Embiid, if you're allowing him, so to speak, to, to score his 30 points, it's probably going to come in the form of dunks and layups and free throws, and and, and that's not a formula to, to win a game. So you're right. Like I, I don't know what you do to stop a guy like that. They've done it in the past, but obviously this is a different player than he was three years ago. And also, like, He's clearly feeling the pressure, right? Like they've there's been pressure on Philadelphia in this series, and I think a ton of pressure on Embiid. But to me, he looks like a man on a mission. From from talking to him, Nabil, not just last night, but after Game Two and throughout the series, is is that the sense that you're getting as well? Is that this isn't only about beating Toronto for him, but like this is this is a guy that that needs to make a deep run in the playoffs and is locked in on that right now. Yeah, I think there's all this like this narrative of, of 2019 and, and the Kawhi shot and, and then wanting to get a revenge. I don't think he really cares about that, to be honest. Maybe, you know, part of him, yeah, you, you want to beat Toronto and sweep Toronto now and walk out, walk out of that arena with some pride. And, and with that shot, you know, it, it adds to a little bit in the series. But 
but I think he's a man, like you said, a man on a mission, and and he's really thinking big picture here. He's grown a lot. He's talked about that as far as his growth, his game, but also just just the fact that listen, this guy is he wants to win MVP, and I know the MVP doesn't have to do anything with the playoffs, but like he wants his position in the game to be of those top three players in the league and wants to be known for that. And the way you get that respect around the league is by winning a championship. And he knows he's in his window. Um, he's healthy. He's the best he's ever played. And you talk about the way they def- – I thought they defended him really well last night. Like, I know I'm looking at his numbers now. He's 12-20. He ended up being 12-20. But, you know, he went at nine free throw attempts. Uh, hit six turnovers. They did a pretty good job on him last night. He's just one of the best players in the league. It's yeah. it's just that. Like, they have a superstar – two superstars. Uh, but they have a superstar who's at the height of his power right now. Unfortunately for Toronto, they don't have a guy like that. Now, I want to ask you guys something because – you guys cover this team on a daily basis. Uh, and I know going into the game, Nick Nurse had talked about Pascal Siakam. And he had talked about how many shots Pascal was taking. And I think in game two, it was 20, 20 attempts. Uh, yeah. And he wanted to see him at that 25 attempt uh, range. He said he, he's got to be at that range. He had 16 shots last night. And yeah, five in the second half. I wasn't going for him. But, but but for me, I was looking late game situation, and Pascal. Again, I might have been wrong. I, I'm, my head's kind of spinning through trying to figure out things what we're going to be doing on the broadcast and stuff. I'm trying to pay attention to everything. But I thought Pascal deferred a lot at the end of the game and in overtime to Gary uh, to Gary Trent Jr. and Gary obviously was having a great game, uh, but also to OG Ananobi again had a great game. But Pascal's your guy. I mean, whether he has 12 points or, or not, I, I just figure like a guy like that should have had way more shots. Uh, and been a lot more aggressive. I think you can lose with Pascal, you know, not having a great game, but at least having those attempts. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that. What do you guys think? Well, let me just quickly say, uh, Nick Nurse was quick to defend Pascal afterwards, saying that, you know, they were making life difficult on Pascal, So, but he did a good job of finding his teammates like Gary and Precious. But I'm with you, Nabil. Like, he didn't make, he didn't get to the line once. And if you're not getting to the line, that's a, that says to me that you're not you're not attacking, you're not forcing your way uh, to get shots. And I would I would rather live and die with him attempting to take shots than not attempting at all, which is what happened basically in, in the second half. Josh, you're right, five five shot attempts, zero points. Where do you stand on it? Yeah, he, he just has to have a bigger impact on the game, right? Like, the the reason why Pascal Siakam took such a big step forward this year is not necessarily because, oh, the, the scoring was up. His, his scoring average was actually down from last year. But, like, I look at the Minnesota game earlier in the season. It was coming off his 40-point performance, and the Timberwolves took the ball out of his hands. Um, and he goes out and has 13 assists and, and a triple-double one way or the other, whether it's scoring or, or doing something else, he has to have an impact on the game. He had an impact on the game last night, but it wasn't big enough to, to lead this team to win. He has to have a big impact as a superstar player, a star player, every night. And I, I thought that's what was missing. We said going into the game last night that, like, Pascal had been good, Fred had been good, but they need to be great to match up with. You're just not going to match up with star power in the playoffs in the NBA unless you can match it with star power and Embiid is too good Harden's been too good Harris and Maxi like it, it's tough so I mean 
we, we had talked a lot going into the series about the narrative here, definitely in Toronto, but I think somewhat around the league as well, that the Raptors are this up-and-coming team, one of the hottest teams in the league. They'd matched up well against Philadelphia. There was all this buzz about them being kind of the sexy upset pick in the first round. What was the, the word south of the border in a bill? What, what were people saying going into this series? What were the expectations? And ultimately, are you surprised at all by how this has played out? I am. Uh, I saw again now. Now with Scotty getting injured that first game, I think that that throws a wrench into a lot of things, right? Uh, would they be down three zero with Scotty in the lineup? A healthy Scotty, a healthy Gary Trent Jr. throughout the whole series. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they would be. Uh, I don't think so, but but maybe. Um, and so yeah, that that changes things. But yeah, I don't think the narrative from a lot of people that I was talking to that was that Toronto was going to win. I think the narrative was that Toronto had a really good chance, right? They could really disrupt this series and make it really difficult for Philadelphia. Maybe a team Philadelphia didn't want to see the first round just because of the way they matched up. And, and if you look at the season series, that makes sense, right? Um, but uh, health has been such an issue for the Raptors. And, you know, I was talking to Fred Van Vliet yesterday before the game, um, and he's not healthy. Like, that's just the thing. You look at the numbers and you look at the way he played. He's not healthy. You can just say that knee is still bothering him. He told me that the pain is, like, tolerable at this point right now. Um, and, and so that puts more emphasis on Siakam, right? Uh, if, if Gary Trent Jr. doesn't have a big game last night, they're getting blown out, right? If Precious doesn't give you 20 off, they're getting blown out. But that's just that's just what it is. And so uh, even going back to Siakam, I, I should say this. You should give credit to – Tobias Harris, because Tobias Harris, when you look at when James Harden got traded, right, guys on that team had to change their roles. And Tyrese Maxey actually benefited a lot from that. Uh, And I would say Tobias Harris has benefited too, but it took him a little bit more time. And and we chatted about it, and he said, listen, man, he said, I was in a really good rhythm before James came in. And then James came in, and, you know, obviously his looks changed, his his number of touches changed, and and the way they approach it changed. And so now he's kind of become more of a spot-up, High volume three point shooter, um, and a guy who kind of cuts to the lane a little bit more. But but it took him a little bit, he said, because his numbers are down now, but his efficiency is actually up. But just mentally, like that outside noise, right, of people being like, ah, oh, because you know over over the years the the rap he's gotten now, big contract, not delivering, so forth, right. Now he becomes the fourth option, and he told me he couldn't remember what game it was, but he said. There was just one game where I'm like, he was, I was so frustrated. And he's just like, he just got locked in on defense. And he had a great game defensively. And he couldn't remember what game it was. But he, he got locked in on defense, had a great game defensively, and, and was a real factor. And that really motivated him. He just took a step back and was like, look. And it, don't get me wrong, he wasn't saying he's upset about James being on the team. It just was the, you know, these guys are <laughs> big-time players making a lot of money. Um, changing your role midseason is difficult, right? That would be difficult for anybody, even in our job, right? Um, but he was saying that he, he took a step back. He's like, I got to block out all this outside noise of all these narratives from people, and I got to realize we can win a championship. And from then on, it's been really, really good. And he's been outstanding in the series, and he has been so good on Pascal Siakam. And that's the other thing about Pascal. Uh, he he said the thing with Pascal is he's not giving him that first look. He knows what Pascal wants to do. He wants to get into the lane, get in that floater or that runner, right? He goes, mm-hmm. I'm not giving him that. And if he's going to get there, it's going to be on his second or third look, third option. And he goes, if he hits a tough shot on his third option, uh, you know, on his third move, great, we'll live with that. 
But at the end of the day, we're not giving him that first option. And I'm going to make life difficult. I'm going to be really physical on him. And the numbers show it. I mean, and even the way Pascal played yesterday, uh, Tobias was really, really good on him defensively. And that's a factor. Obviously, we should you know, point that out in that favor, too. We're joined by Nabil Kareem of Turner and TNT, host and reporter. And that's a great point, Nabil. And just speaking of changing roles, we're going we're gonna to turn the tables and talk about you a little bit here. Because as much as I want to hear juicy stories about Josh Lewenberg, uh, from your time with us at TSN. Um, yeah. No, there are no, some. No, no, no. Nabil is far more interesting. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've had a, an incredible story, an incredible journey throughout your career. Um, and, and it's one that, you know, a lot of Canadians and a lot of people want, want to hear about. And, and I'm sure you can't talk about it in like five minutes or less. But just briefly, can you just talk about how you went from TSN to ESPN? And now here you are in this incre- incredible role on the sidelines of, of the playoffs with, with TNT and, and, and Turner Sports? I mean, to sum it up, you know, I, I was, TSN was an incredible spot for me. I mean, um, I was so fortunate to be there and get all the opportunities I got there. But, you know, at some point it was I, I started to realize that I could do more, you know, and, and it was frustrating that I, I wasn't getting the opportunities I wanted yeah. and I could do more. And uh, that's when I started looking south. And, um, you know, ESPN came by and, it was just, as you guys know, like it's not often that Canadians go over, right? I mean, Nick, you've gone over, you know this, and so like, it's not often. And so when that opportunity came by, it was it was scary, it was exciting, it was a whole whole bunch of different things, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I went there, um, I, I became so much better at ESPN just because of the nature of just their news cycle, their show, they're going twenty four seven on everything, right? It's just it's such a huge spot uh, as far as content and news and information and so forth. And, you know, to be on that sports center show, that iconic show is pretty cool. It, it was pretty cool. You know, I have a sports Emmy, which is kind of neat. You know, I sports center won a sports Emmy and by, ch- by chance I got one too. Um, so it's cool. It, 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 it's really neat. And for me though, it was just that experience and I was loving ESPN. Um, and then Turner came along and for me, the sell was, listen, there are not too many American sports broadcasters out there or sports broadcasters working in America, I should say, that their favorite two sports are hockey and basketball. And that's, that checks my box, though, you know. And so to, to work in the NBA, um, you know, full-time, to, to have some work HL, you know, on the American side was just the perfect combination. And then, you know, being a Turner and just the way they, they broadcast. I mean, I don't have to sell you guys on it. <laughs> it's all about having fun and being creative and having conversation. And that's not what it's like everywhere else. And so um, it, it's just been, I, I feel really fortunate. Like it was a full circle moment for me doing the series and especially going into yesterday. It was kind of cool coming back. Um, but I've been really lucky along the way for sure. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those bet on yourself moments and, I did, and, you know, so far it's worked out. We'll see how it goes, but uh, I've never been professionally happier. Uh, Turner is just in a, an incredible place to work, and um, the the environment, and Josh, we were talking about, the environment that they've created there is something really special with all their talent, not only their talent, but also just the entire team. Like, everybody is a big family, and I just love it. Well, Sean Fitzgerald, Sean Fitzgerald sorry, wrote, wrote an excellent, profile on you and your career for the athletic if people haven't 
read it. I, I strongly recommend it, and it's great to to read and to see that you and your family are, are settling into uh, your new home in Atlanta, and, and it's been great to catch up with you, Nabil, over the last few days. I'll ask you, last one for me, you've been at Turner now for a few months. Is there a moment that you've had already that really stands out and resonates with you and will for the the foreseeable future, either behind the scenes, a conversation that you've had, or something on the sidelines? Uh, there's been a few. There's definitely been a few. How much time I have, I'll try to be as quick as possible. But, like, I think doing March Madness was a huge one. Um, you know, I knew I'd have some kind of role uh, within the tournament when I got hired. Um, but then when I look, I did the whole first week. And then when I look back at the first week after, you know, they took a break, I realized. And, and then you kind of can decompress and kind of look back and, and assess how you did and stuff. Um, there were three hosts of that tournament in the States. And in New York, it was Ernie Johnson, the GOAT, Greg Dumble, you know, the GOAT, and then myself. <laughs> so um, mm. it, it, it was kind of weird. You know, you kind of look at it that way. You're like, wow, uh, that's pretty cool. Obviously, I did not belong with that company, uh, but it was pretty cool to be in that company and, and in that first week and, and be trusted to do something like that. As far as, like, personalities are concerned, you know, the first day I got to Turner, I walk in, Shaq's, like, we have this area called the Clubhouse where all the TVs are and the makeup room and then so forth, screening rooms and stuff. And you see Shaq riding like the biggest scooter you've ever seen in your life to hold his body. <laughs> and he's just gliding along the scooter. Chuck's walking in. I can't even tell you what Chuck said, but it was funny. <laughs> Unreal. And he's, and he's joking around. He's coming, welcoming me to the team. And, and he's just, again, like I said, it's that family atmosphere. Everyone's talking, you know, like, you know, our production crew and our makeup artist, everyone's just, it almost felt like a frat house. The last thing I will tell you is, when Wayne Gretzky, when I met Wayne Gretzky, as a Canadian, that's a big deal, right? And I hadn't seen him for the first month and a half, and I was doing an NBA TV show that day. And we have this locker room with all our lockers, and I walk in, and Wayne was there with Liam, who's our NHL host, and he introduced me, and I'm like, hey, hello. You know, it was very, like, nonchalant, uh, and I went about my business and went. And I actually acted pretty cool about it, left, right, whatever. My show's done three and a half hours later, and I go and I sit down on one of those couches. I was just eating. I was actually just uh, at the hotel, so I decided to stay there. And all of a sudden, we have this couch. It's like a big couch. Wayne comes over and sits down, like, right next to me and starts talking to me about, hey, how about your family, this, that. And we talked for, like, 15 minutes. It was just, and then I'm, like, eating, we're talking. It's all normal. And then mid-conversation, I'm thinking to myself, I'm sitting here talking to Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's one of those moments that was kind of surreal, but again, er everything just over there with the way they've set things up and, and set up their culture. It's just a normal thing over there. And so, um, you know, when I, when I tell it to somebody else, it kind of is a pinch me moment and it wasn't, you know, kind of at the time, but on, on most days it's kind of just regular. That's awesome, man. Very cool. We love seeing all your success up here. So happy that you're doing and, obviously appreciative uh, of you taking the time this morning thanks so much and keep crushing it and let's do this again soon 100 percent, anytime guys and i'll uh, see you at game four right well, that's good. yeah maybe five maybe uh, well de de definitely definitely <laughs> four we know that yeah <laughs> there yeah, he is four, four bill okay. kareem okay <laughs> there he is the kareem turner sports Always great to catch up, and uh, Nikki, I mean, you, you asked him the question, such a great journey that he's had and an inspiration to a lot of people, for sure. 
Yeah, um, you know, obviously a Canadian kid working in the States and, and Josh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say he's a person of color and that representation yep. really matters. And, and the bill's just crushing it at the highest level uh, in our industry and such a good guy, so humble uh, at that. And so I'm really glad to, that he was able to join the show and have such a great conversation with him. A friend of ours, former colleague, and it's been so long. I mean, he was telling me yesterday it's been he, he's only been back to Toronto once during the pandemic. It was very brief, I think, over Christmas. And at the time, just about everything was shut down. So I, I'm, mm. I'm glad he mentioned it. It's sort of a full circle moment for him to be back here and covering the series. Really great to see him. Uh, we're going to put a wrap on the show and, and, and maybe a wrap on the, the series. We'll talk about <laughs> game four, look ahead what's to come and maybe look ahead to uh, the return of Scotty Barnes and what it means for this team that's coming up next on the Raptors beat. Crunch time on the Raptors beat and hopefully it goes better than crunch time did for the Raptors in game three. Game four goes at two o'clock on Saturday. You can listen to it here on TSN 1050 and Nikki, I'll ask you the question. Whether the season comes to an end on Saturday or a couple days later in Philly in Game 5, whatever happens from here on out, does the result of this series change the way that you feel about this Raptors season? No. No, no, no. Not at all. I think, you know, what we've been saying all along, they've been playing with house money, right? And then this whole year was supposed to be a quote-unquote experimental and growing and, and learning. And they did exactly that. And, and this experience in the playoffs has been nothing but a bonus, in my opinion. Obviously, you want to be able to win a game. You know, obviously, I don't want the Raptors to get swept and, and have that feeling. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all a part of learning and growing. And the experience is, I think, uh, invaluable. You know, we were talking earlier about Scotty and whether or not he'll be able to play on Saturday or whether or not he should play on Saturday. Um, but his experience in the playoffs is a big part of this because he's such a big part of this team and will be moving forward. And so, I mean, man, they, they've uh, they've exceeded my expectations, that's for sure, uh, and have come a long way since last year. Um, how do you feel about it all? No, I, I feel the same way. And we, and we said that going into the series, that whatever happens, this season is going to be considered a resounding success, regardless. Mm -hmm. And it would be disingenuous for us to sit here now after three losses and say something different. I feel exactly the same way. I think this series, to this point anyway, has unfolded just about as poorly as it, as it can for the Raptors. And I don't even say that necessarily because of the losses, because... They they are down 3-0. I mean, I do think, as to Nick Nurse's point, you want as many games of playoff experience as possible. So if in the end they only get four, I think that that's a, a bit of a disappointment. And I also think, and we, we talked about this also, is, is more than anything else, the disappointment here is that Scotty goes down in game one. They could still, like, let's say in the alternate universe here, they, they still get swept it's still a, a loss series but scotty stays healthy i think you just get more out of that series than what they've gotten out of this but sure. yeah i mean whatever happens from here it doesn't change the fact that yes all of those things happen this year scotty had a, a, a incredible rookie season pascal took a, a, another step in in what has been a, a remarkable 
career and success story for him. Fred's an all-star. Gary Trent Jr., Precious Achua, like all of these guys took major step forwards. This year in the Raptors as a team exceeded any reasonable, even even the most optimistic preseason expectations. So I think that's something that's important to remember. remember. We're going to talk about that next week, whether the, the series is still going or not. Um <laughs> And yes, we will be back with you next week, whether the series is still going or not. Um, A a lot to talk about um, in terms of looking back and looking ahead. So we'll be back with you next Thursday. In the meantime, check us out on Spotify or anywhere else where you get your podcasts. Subscribe and follow, rate and review. We always appreciate it. On behalf of Chris Diavero back in studio and, of course, my co-host Nikki Reyes, thank you very much for listening.